Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by the Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Hey everyone, welcome to today's brand new episode of Tapping Into the Human. I am very excited to announce that we have Amy Guerrero, who is the founder of Thrive in Recovery. Uh, By the way, I love that name, but she provides personalized coaching to help heal relationships, love your work, and live sober with confidence, all of which sounds amazing. So Amy, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice to see you and to talk to you and to get to do fun things like this. I agree. I agree. Thank you so much. Um, Can you start off by giving our listeners a little bit more of an overview of who you are and your background and what Thrive in Recovery exactly is? Totally. I think the easiest way to talk about it is through my story. Um, So I'm a conscious sober woman and it took me a, um, a very tumultuous pathway to get to the consciousness of what I call conscious and sober. And I, I was on a road of exploring my trauma mm. from a very young age. And so um, I was exposed to like, oh, your body, like it's in your body, it's in your body, it's in your body. And this was like when I was in college and I, I got that, something clicked about that for me. And I didn't have any teachers to take me deeper into like what that meant and how that would look. And so I, uh, I, I was very curious about trauma work. And so I started studying somatic experiencing and yoga and all of the things. Of course, I continued to drink and do drugs and be in college and have fun, make all A's while I did the thing. So I had two things going on, right? Like I, I did things hard and I did things fast. I, I, I had a lot of masculine energy in me that was just like, and, and it worked, you know, it was my protective mechanism. Um, fast forward many years and lots of success. I continued to use drugs and alcohol as my main coping mechanism to push the, the discomfort and the pain in my body away and down because the discomfort and the pain in my body would activate like really, really negative thoughts, which I'm sure everyone out there can identify with. But I had the knowing that it's, it wasn't just the negative thought that my body was actually activated. And that's why the substance always worked fastest rather than the yoga and all the things I was trained in. So I started supporting people in, in all these different ways through being a yoga teacher, through health and nutrition, through all of these Ayurvedics and all these things, but I, the fastest thing to make it all go away was the alcohol. So um, at around 36, I got this amazing idea that I was going to heal all of my trauma before I turned 40. And I was going to walk into my forties, like happy, fucking joyous and free. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And I became chemically dependent on alcohol. Yeah. Like shake the whole thing. Yeah super, super confused and totally ashamed. And shame was like my favorite, you know, like thing to hide underneath. And when that happened, I isolated because I I was like, how can anyone see this successful person like in this terrible place? And, um, and I knew it was my trauma, right? Like I found my birth mom. I did all of these really great things for myself. 
you know, things that I really wanted to explore, but I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have mm. the coping skills that were sustainable right. to walk through the things that I was walking through. And so then there started my soap, my journey to sobriety because I couldn't continue to drink the way that I was because I was chemically dependent. So it was just a mess. I mean, I won't get into all the gruesome stories that there was a lot. And it took me about two years to stay stopped because I was being met with a, a form of recovery that was not listening. I didn't feel listened to. I didn't mm. feel seen. I didn't feel yeah. heard. I didn't feel like anyone was like, oh, traumas in your body. And I was like explaining all these things that I knew and giving people books and all the things. And they were like, no, you have to buy an alcoholic and you yeah. have to be of service and work steps. And I did all of those things. And when I would feel like I failed at that again, the shame would get higher. The shame would get more intense. And so Never then ending I was like, cycle. exactly. So because yeah. exactly that, I felt like it was a never ending cycle. So I was like, I just want to peace out. And then I just became very suicidal. And, um, fun thing is, is that I started writing my program in 2014, the very first time I went to treatment and I started to go, wait a second. I know that the body's the pathway to freedom. And I know, like, I know that I can do this differently. I just need to find a safe place that will allow me to expand in that way. And so, um, at the end of all of that in June of 2016, I tried to kill myself again and it didn't work. And I went to treatment totally like in a blackout and was like, yo, you've got to let me do it my way, please. And I was thinking of my, um, the psychiatrist that checked me in, so I was speaking in Spanish and I had all these notebooks. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> oh, that's I like, I have like brown, like memories of it, um, but they listened. They totally listened. They gave me a lot of space to, and I was a great client and they gave me that space to do me. And that's where the real opening happened. Three months later, I started Thrive in Recovery. I started serving people all over the greater Los Angeles area. And then I took my business online in 2018. And everything that I'm about is the, the bottom up approach. Mm. Like I know that when someone's stuck in their life in recovery, it's because the, the stuckness that their nervous system won't allow them to go to that next place or level. And from what you do during the day, you see how that shows up in our world. <laughs> Very much so. So, you know, that's what it is. And I also know that um, how we relate to one thing is how we relate to everything. And so if we're, if we're meeting the world with all of this protective energy and resistance, because we can't drink, we can't smoke, we can't Xanax, we can't porn, we can't gamble, whatever it is, mm -hmm. we can't sugar, then it, it still wants to go somewhere. Mm. And that resistance will be in your relationships. That resistance will be in, in, you know, working in work that really feels purposeful and passionate. That resistance will show up in, in how you're having sex and how you're, in, you're intimately acquainted with your lovers and your people. So it'll just, that rigidity will show up everywhere. And that's when people come to, in the world, not just people in recovery. And they're like, oh, I feel stuck. Well, yeah. You do feel stuck. That's 100% what you feel. Right. And are you ready to be a little uncomfortable to get on spot? Yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. Well, what an opening. 
appreciate that very much. You, There's a lot to unpack there. I was going to say you talk about, which I find interesting, and something that I've been looking into a lot is like um, you were talking about like the 12 steps and, you know, there was maybe a certain way that, you know, hey, you got to follow these steps and the sort of the rigidity of having to do things a certain way. And when I was looking on your website, something that I really gravitated to was the fact that you tried multiple different ones. You tried Smart Recovery, you tried 12-step programs, all these different ones. And I'm sure that you've now created Thriving Recovery. You probably take, you know, the best of the best, the best practices, best lessons learned from the, the parts that you did like and probably omitted the parts that you didn't like. Is that a fair assumption? Did what you went through, I guess, affected what you ended up putting into your own sort of course and what you teach your clients and that sort of thing. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a, a, a hard and fast rule that I will meet you where you're at. Right. So I have, um, Alex, it, you know, we get indoctrinated so easily in our yeah. world conditioned and, and I'm still deconditioning what I learned in 12 step for sure. Like yeah. I still feel guilty and shameful because of like weird little comments that will come into my head. And I'm like, right. that's like seven years ago, Guerrero. Like, but it's still okay. it's a thing. It's a thing. It's it sticks totally with a you. thing. It sticks yeah. With and you. I feel it in my body and I'm just like, I'm a bad person. Yeah. And that's not true, but I feel like it's true. Mm. And that's what I'm consistently working through. So you're right. Like I, I do take all of these things and I also meet people where they're at. And then when I'm doing groups, I mean, we honestly barely talk about like sobriety because I'm really in that next level with people, you know, I mean, of course the foundation of everything that's possible in our lives is that we choose abstinence or, um, from, you know, the things that no longer serve us, but there's a plenty of other things that no longer serve us that come up. Mm. And so, you know, I, I, we just started a new container yesterday called recover the trust. And this is, this program is based on like deeply learning to self-trust, which is something that, um, and I don't even use these words, but I'll use it for our listeners, that addicts and alcoholics really struggle with, is how do I trust myself? It's easier to stay indoctrinated right. into all of the recovery systems, because then that takes agency away. You still feel stuck, but you can repeat slogans and ways of being but your body isn't embodied. And so I would say that like what I teach is embodied recovery, like embodied sobriety, which is totally imperfect by the way. And I yeah, really so want to say I was going to say that, that's interesting. And I, and I like the terms that you're using. So talk a little bit more about embodied sobriety. Like what exactly does that encompass? That seems like it's a holistic full person versus targeting one specific aspect. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole thing can I hang in the sensation of the discomfort of being human? Because I didn't, I wasn't able to for many years, right? right? I Xanaxed, I alcoholed, I cocaine, I, oh, I tried it all, right? Like I did the things because I couldn't hang in the sensation of being human. And so unlearning all of that and right. embodying what it is to be in my the way that I call myself is conscious. I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to die with sensation right now because this feels so intense. And can I be with that feeling and still choose? And here's that thing, choose differently because my patterns will tell me to choose a safe way. Mm. 
my patterns will tell me to choose not to say the thing I really want to say right, or right. to, you know, silence my pain if I'm, if I'm angry or to silence my emotion if I'm grieving. And I'm like, oh no, like I know because I do the trauma work and I'm trained the way that I am that like, if I don't release it, then it's going to get stuck and it's going to come out in some weird ass way later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's better just <laughs> and to get what, it out. Yeah, exactly. And that's what leads to going back to our old coping mechanisms or as you might call it relapse. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense because you were pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing your truth down. Mm. And as people that choose not to escape ourselves anymore, like that can lead to lots of discomfort. And so can telling the truth. For and sure. so it's like being with the polarity and the paradox of, of those things. Yeah. Being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Hundreds. It's, yeah. Well, and that's just, and, and see, I, I know a lot of people, myself included up until I lost one of my best friends to addiction, don't get addiction, right? Because it's, it's separate and distinct from, you know, sometimes mental health and whatever it may be, but I think the things that we're talking about right now are just human, you know, yeah. who wants to kind of find out all these things about themselves that they might not want to know, dive deeper into. It's easy to just be, and it's hard to like actively try to make yourself better, work for you, find out, you know, it takes effort and it's hard work and it's uncomfortable. Um, but I feel like to be able to, as you, you know, I, I, I really like when I was looking at your website and what you do, the idea of thrive and recovery, where I think a lot of what the Alberta's project is trying to do, and I think is important and what you're trying to do is you don't just have to, there is life after addiction, right? There's so much more. And what I'm seeing right now, and, and I think it's what we were just talking about along with the cycle of shame and guilt is people just feeling stuck. Like they can't make that next step. They can't get better. They can't pursue the job that they want, you know, but people could be 30, 40. I mean, you found sort of, I think your passion and calling at probably 40 years of age. And there's, that's amazing. Right. And it's, you can be better and a better self. And it doesn't just have to be, I don't know, boring and, and sad. And, you know, it's tough. I, I'm making it easier than it is, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, <laughs> then it comes back to that same thing. Life is life is whatever we make of it, you know. Um, like there, in as many trials and tribulations and all of the things that I have experienced personally and that my family has experienced and intergenerationally, I've experienced as a Mexican American woman and Chicana in the world, right? Like there's lots of trauma. It, I still get to make that choice to go, you know what? I don't like being stuck. It doesn't feel good to me. It never has. I'm the first person to go to college in my family. I'm the first person to choose not to have children in my family system, right? Like very different than mm. the roots that have been passed on intergenerationally. Yeah. And so when I think, when I get to work with humans all over the world in recovery, I get so excited because I'm like, you are stepping into this journey with I will guide you, but I'm going to bring you back to your truth because there's something calling in you that's deeper that, that you are hiding with the, the substances or the behaviors that no longer serve you. And when we can get to that nugget, something turns on. Yeah. And once you know, you know, 
Exactly. No, I think exactly. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And it was interesting. You were talking about how in 2018 you started, you know, Thrive Recovery, like and putting it online. And you were just saying that you talked to people all all over the world. That's awesome because with COVID, you were probably really well set up for the virtual environment. So how has, if at all, COVID changed the way that, you know, you practice and advise your clients? I mean, I know mental health addiction, unfortunately, has gotten so much worse, right? Everyone's stuck at home. Everyone's suffering in some which way. So what is your sort of best piece of advice that you're giving to your clients right now who might, depending on where they're in the world, kind of stuck inside and secluded from, you know, maybe their typical what they do, work, whatever it may be? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, right when I, I guess I knew it was happening at the end of February and I was totally in, in a place where I could serve a lot of people and I already knew how to do it. And so it, it was beautiful that I was able to, at first I, I really opened up a lot of Zoom rooms and doors and, and just held a lot of space. And then of course I'm running a business. So I'm like, okay, you know, like <laughs> yeah. what are, what are we going to do differently now? And, and it's been so beautiful because, um, my work is about the, it becomes about the whole family system. And while we've been in this more, um, this opportunity where the whole family system is there, I've been able to start teaching all of these to the entire family Love system. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Because it's so necessary. So if a partner has a question, I'm like, have them come on the call with us. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Invite someone from, you know, a client from Australia invited someone from the U S so that they could like have a conversation and a coming together. But again, I think my goal is to bring that humanness to Mm. it. Connection. Yeah. And the connection, because that's what, you know, was missing from the beginning. And then the shame and the guilt are so much easily more, so much more easily dissolved from that connection. Right. And so much truth comes out about just the humanness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about a couple important things. I think one of the most important things that you just raised is sort of the family unit, right? And and something that I've learned about um, being the friend of one of my best friends who passed away from addiction is it's a family disease, right? And uncovering how much it has an effect on, on family members and the kind of demand signal that I'm getting from a lot of people who follow us is, you know, I am a brother, son, mother, whatever it may be of someone suffering. Like, what is, what can I do? And that, it feels so helpless. Like, I can only imagine, you know, I knew that my friend was suffering and I was not by any means equipped to deal with it, to know how to process it myself, never mind be able to help someone else. So what do you, what's sort of your 101 best piece of advice for like a family member? Is it just getting them to sort of understand what addiction is, taking away sort of the mystery of it? Like what's, what, what's your first sort of thing you do with a family member? Yeah, that's a beautiful everything. I just love everything that you were just saying. And I, I really felt you and, and cause it can be so confusing. Right. Um, my invitation is always to invite them to, to experience me. You know, they're like, I can't believe that you were in that place. Mm. And I can speak to it so clearly without activation Mm. about how I was literally walking around the streets of San Francisco with no shoes and hospital bands and still with the, at the liquor store, you know, all kinds of like weird things. And for the family member to know 
that something is possible on the other side of it. Mm, now, sort of just the another hope, the hope aspect. Well, and also in the same thing, I'm like, let's take the focus completely off of the person, right? And talk about you. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable because the ability for that person to look at their own patterns and behaviors, it's easier to be like, it's the, it's the addict or the alcoholic's fault. And that is the problem, right? Because we can't come together as a family if we're blaming and shaming each other. 100%. And recover the trust is something that I've been dreaming about having because of that because it's like trust was broken a long time ago way before drugs and alcohol came into the picture with family systems mm. that's his childhood stuff that happened right 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 and um you know I, I got to hold rooms with parents that were like but you don't understand it's their problem I'm like oh no like and I mean you know I can cut through things pretty quickly and easily and hold it in a trauma-informed space right so um it's it's that this all started somewhere and you know the trauma is real and it will continue to get passed on as long as we're continuing to it to, to be feed can it. we all own a hundred percent of everything that's happening not your 50 and my 50 but like interesting this is a yeah mess i mean and it takes a lot of nervous system capacity to get there right Right. And so a lot of what I teach is polyvagal theory and somatic experiencing and like a lot of just like grounded body up work, because when a family member is like, you've got to fix this. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. I can't fix it. I'm not that powerful. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I wish, I, but yeah, I mean, no, no human is right. Um, is it painful? Absolutely. It, the best thing that a family member can do is meet person where they're at but the thing that is impossible is when the family members or the friend's nervous system is dysregulated it's impossible to meet the person where they're at because the per you or the family member or whoever isn't grounded in any kind of regulation mm. and believe me I had slews of people try to do this for me and I remember like laying there on the bed or at the hospital staring at them and I was like you need a drink. <laughs> they were so disregulated. You and I was like, you're not helpful right now. You yeah. know, and it, it, no fault of their own. We all have nervous systems that get activated. But when you're the one on the other side of all of this attention as the addict or the alcoholic, you're like, ah, more it's shame. Yeah. 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 No, it's just not shame. a good feeling. Yeah. You're carrying yeah. this whole kind of fiasco right like no one wants to deal with a period and you certainly don't want to deal with it when there's just I always say like turning I, I think the biggest problem that the community faces right now is just it's miseducation a shitload of stigma and the idea that there's just it's your fault all on you sucks to suck figure it out on your own it's sort of like the tough love thing which some people say I've spoken to many people on this podcast are like tough love is the only answer that you know and other half of the people are like tough love is not gonna work and that can be the last time you see your son or daughter and then they use and have an overdose like so I you know and I think that that's the great but not so great thing about this is there is no right answer there is no one size fits all and that's why I love when you say like meet them where they're at 
it's not yeah. like you must conform to A, B, and C in order for me to see you. It's no, it's tough enough. I'll be where you're at, and then we can kind of work from there. Yeah, and that's why I teach attachment theory because I, I would change the tough love to can you meet them with secure attachment? I see that your pattern is really up right now. Almost like how I meet my clients in groups and on Instagram everywhere is like, I will not be moved. Yes, I'm human. I will get activated, but I will come back to my secure attachment, which means that I can hold a limit. Mm. That's not okay. And I'm not going anywhere and I love you. Right. Right. And there's a big difference between tough love and secure attachment. Yeah, I was going to say the way you just, I haven't heard a secure attachment before, but the way you just describe it, it sort of like limits boundaries versus like tough love is like, I'm just, I'm not dealing with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at, listen to the word. It's so harsh. Tough. Yeah, no love. tough love. That doesn't, to... that's doesn't, that's not real. <laughs> like love is pure. Love right. is like, I'm not going anywhere. It's a little ironic, tough love, but yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, I think a lot of what you raised today is just so important. It's, and it's the way in which we message this stuff. And I, and I love like your energy and the way that you are. And I think that that's so important because I think this stuff is, as we just discussed, confusing and scary and it's tough, right? And the last thing you want to do is deal with it. And in order to deal with it, you need someone who's able to kind of meet you where you're at and make it in a way that's explainable and the way that you include families. I I know for a fact there's a couple of people that I know who have wanted to, you know, be a part of the journey with their son or daughter and professionals are like, no, this is their journey to be on. You can't be a part of it. And while everyone has their own, like leave it up to their own device, I think it's so tough for the families. I think it's so tough for the friends. And I, I think they need help too, right? And it's not the same. But I just think the problem is right now, I, I think the reason why everything is so stigmatized is just from a lack of understanding, right? It's from the idea that you just said, it's like, nope, all on you instead of like, okay, maybe I played a role in this or how can I best support? So I think that that's a great idea. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if we take, again, the, the bigger picture on it, that's the, that's the problem with everything is when in the world is when we make it like, no, you know, I'm not willing to have this conversation because holding the energy of having this conversation is too intense for me. Mm. So I would rather just stick it into a box and make it go away. Right. I mean, that's, we could go and, you know, you, you see this every day right. in politics, you right. know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and so it's easier. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the same thing. It's easier to stigmatize it than it is to actually deal with it. And we do that with grief. We do that with anything hard to talk about. We do it with sex. We do it with all the things. And right. it's like, mm. so my commitment to the recovery space is to talk about all the things that are hard to talk about. I love it. I love it. It's great. Um, I was going to say, so the last question that we usually leave off with is what is your best piece of advice for the audience? And I think there's been a lot of awesome gold nuggets and tidbits, but what is the best piece of advice that anyone listening today could sort of listen and be like, I'm going to remember that? Yeah, I think it is that meet, meet yourself where you're at. Can you accept that deep confusion? And then advocate for yourself. 
I love the advocate for yourself. That's a very, very important piece. And that's very different than I just think the advocate, listen, no one is the best advocate, but you, and you know, when you kind of reach rock bottom or you need help and um, I think that that's tough because asking for help, I can only imagine it, ha it hasn't been my experience, but I can only imagine how tough it is, but being your best advocate and you have people around you who support you then, and you're in pretty good hands. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, Amy, it was such a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Um, everyone will make sure to link to Amy's Thrive and Recovery, but make sure to check out all her stuff. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following the Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.